Welcome to worship with Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. At Dawson, we seek to be found faithful as God's people as we become and help others become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Now join us as we worship God through the teaching of His Word in today's message. Church, as we continue to worship, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 4. It's going to be our guide this morning. Today's Super Bowl Sunday. So we have the 49ers versus the Chiefs. I tell you, I have to put my cards on the table here. What Super Bowl Sunday is most significant for me as your pastor is is the last Sunday before pitchers and catchers report on Wednesday, which is the first official day of spring training. So I can tell you more about the 49ers in the 1980s than I could tell you today about the 49ers, really. I can tell you a lot about Jerry Rice and Joe Montana and Roger Craig and and Dwight Clark and those 49ers. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Today is Super Bowl Sunday, but our hearts are set upon the Word of God this morning, regardless of who you're cheering for this evening. Acts chapter 3 was where we were last week. And so before we dive into Acts chapter 4, it might be wise for us to say previously in the book of Acts, Previously in the book of Acts, we have Peter and John who are making their way into the temple. And there is a lame man who has been lame for over 40 years of his life. And he's laid before the beautiful gate. Hundreds, if not thousands of people would pass him by. He is begging. He's asking for alms. Peter and John look at him and say, hey, silver and gold, we do not have. But in the name of Jesus Christ, stand and walk. Peter reaches down, pulls him up immediately. This man is leaping up immediately. This man is walking and skipping and praising God in the temple. That, my friends, makes quite a stir. So in the temple, there are people that say, is that not the same guy who day in and day out begs? Is that not the same guy? That guy who is standing, that guy who is walking, that guy who is skipping around, is he not the same guy? Well, of course, this kind of miraculous event I mean, this is, you call the caterer in for this, right? I mean, you crank up the music for this. This is time to celebrate. This is time to throw a party. Everybody, of course, would be excited, right? Wrong. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them being Peter and John, verse 2, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. This is the reaction of the religious bigwigs of the temple 2,000 years ago. Their reaction, verse 2, is that they were greatly annoyed. Why would they be greatly annoyed? Well, again, look at the passage. They they were teaching something specifically here. They were proclaiming the resurrection of the dead. Why is that threatening? The Sadducees is a group, a Jewish sect, S-E-C-T, a small group that that has an enormous amount of power. And one of the things about the Sadducees that you have to understand is they are sort of the theological, sort of educated, kind of elite liberals And so they have no place for supernatural in any of their teaching. Actually, they don't believe in angels. Miracles, nope. Resurrection, nope. And so here you got Peter and John showing up on the scene, 
talking about Jesus and his resurrection and how this man is healed in the name of Jesus. And it isn't that they just have theological, you know, questions about what they're teaching. This is threatening to their livelihood. That this is leading them to, to lose some of their power and clout among the people. And so they want to shut them up. They want to silence this threat. So what do they do? They put them in jail is what they do. My friends, this is the first time in the book of Acts that you've got followers of Jesus that are being imprisoned for their faith. But I assure you, it is not going to be the last time. Persecution is going to come. And one of the ways that we're going to follow the storyline of the early church is to be realizing once again, as Tertullian, the second century early church father, said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And Peter and John, they're put in prison. And I imagine Peter saying to John, hey, Jesus told us this was going to happen. Peter, you remember when he went up on the mountainside and he taught us, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. I can imagine Peter say, you remember, John, when he got to that part where he said, blessed are others when they revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You remember you remember, John, what he told us to do? He told us to rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. That was the time. As Jesus was preparing them for what was going to be inevitable. And it's easy for us to read the book of Acts and say, man, this is really ancient history. Isn't it? 2,000 years ago, the early church is going through difficulty. And we can leave these kinds of stories way back in history. But this church is not ancient history. As we are gathered here this morning, understand that this, this sounds contemporaneous to thousands upon thousands of people that are followers of Jesus. Open Doors is this wonderful ministry that helps us be informed and pray as Christians in regard to the persecution of Christians across the world. They put out their annual report just a few weeks ago for the year 2023, and in it, a very staggering statistic is that every day 13 Christians a day, are killed for their faith. Not all of you, but many of you have been here serving prior to this service. Many of you were, were in a life group prior to this service. Many of you have been on this campus for the last two hours, and in the last two hours, one person has lost their life because of their faith in Jesus. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. They reported that over 4,100 Christians across the world were falsely imprisoned for their faith. And that is a very conservative number. One of the things I love about this ministry is, is they don't falsely inflate the numbers. They only report what they can substantiate with people on the ground who are eyewitnesses. So the number is much more than that number, most likely. Especially when you think of the, just these sobering facts. This last year in China, 10,000 churches were shut down. This last year in India, over 2,200 churches were interrupted in the midst of worship to be intimidated and attacked, to attempt to silence Christians. And we could add to that story, we could add to this story, stories in Nigeria, we can add to this story, stories in Sudan and Rwanda and Niger and Nicaragua, and we can add to these stories, stories in Ethiopia here. And we hear these kinds of stories of Peter and John and we leave them behind in history, but these are not ancient stories. These are contemporary stories, and it leads us to pray for the persecuted church, doesn't it? It leads us to appreciate 
the freedoms that we so richly enjoy as citizens of a country that enables religious freedom for us to do what we're doing here without fear of repercussion. But more than that, think of the faith of millions of Christians who don't share, don't share what we oftentimes take for granted. And every Sunday in house churches, they're gathering to worship. Every Sunday in churches that might be infiltrated and attacked, they are worshiping. This is the boldness of the church in our world that should stir us as Christians, and we join with them, although we might not know their names, we join with them in prayer. And Open Doors Ministry is a helpful way to pray very specifically. But understand here, you, you can put Peter and John in jail, but you cannot slow down the growth of Christianity. This is going to be one of the themes that we see, and we see it in verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Yeah, I mean, yes, of course, you, you, can, you can imprison the messengers, but you can't imprison the message. I mean, you, you can put the messengers in prison, but you cannot arrest nor stop the spread of this message. It is like a wildfire that is, that is, that is spreading across this ancient uh, Jewish world here. And we have, I mean, if you just follow along, Acts chapter 1, how many followers did we have of Jesus? 120. Acts chapter 2, at the end of Pentecost, after Peter preaches this message, how many followers do we have there in Jerusalem? We had over 3,000. And so now what Luke is telling us, I can't keep up is what he's telling us. He, he's just using approximate numbers now. He's saying, well, there's over 5,000 men, and I'm not even counting the children. I'm not even counting the women here. And so we see tens of thousands of people that are coming to know the message of Jesus and are finding hope in his name alone. And everyone is not excited about that. In verse 5, we read, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, the high priests and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? What's the secret here? Is it your power? Is it your piety? And Peter immediately wants them to know that the, the simple answer to their question is not in his name. The simple answer to this question is not anything that he brings to the table here, not anything that is inherently powerful about Peter. Peter is not on display after this miraculous healing here. And so they're asking, whose name have you done this in? And you can imagine Peter and you can imagine John in this moment tempted to, to quiet down the name of Jesus. You can imagine them tempted to kind of uh, couch their answer, nuance their answer, give enough disclaimers to where they will not have the fate of Jesus become their fate. I mean, they know just a few weeks ago, these same religious bigwigs had this trumped up trial for Jesus himself. And what ended up happening was his crucifixion. So it is right that they're girding themselves thinking that that's where we're headed here. Now, what was the fate of Jesus will become our fate. And so they're asking, whose name are you doing this in? And Peter responds, verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you. And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is, verse 12, salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you write in your Bible, in the margin of your Bible, you can write Luke chapter 21, verses 12 through 15, right here in this section of Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Do you remember when Jesus said, hey, followers, you're, you're going to be, you as my disciples, you're going to be falsely accused, you're going to be imprisoned, but I'm going to give you a word of testimony that's going to come upon you. When you're backed into a corner, don't, don't forget, I'm with you. And I'm going to give you the words. And there's Peter. Peter's standing up here in the face of these false charges, in the face of persecution, in the face of spending the night in jail. He stands up. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And the very uh, testimony of Jesus in Luke chapter 21 comes to fruition here in Peter's words. And it's amazing for us to understand just how powerful this message is. Peter doesn't hold anything back. And in many ways, we can imagine Peter pointing his finger. It's you who crucified him. You who put him on trial. Today, you're on trial. Today, you've got to answer. He's quoting Psalm 118. Very strategically, he goes back to his own scripture, the Hebrew scripture, their scripture. And he says, you remember in Psalm 118, where it said that, that God's exalted one is going to be rejected and reviled, and God would exalt him. Well, this is what's happened to his servant, and his servant's name is Jesus. And the, the name of Jesus is the name that has healed this man. And at the name of Jesus is the name, and by only his name can anyone be saved. This is a bold message here. There is no other name, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, we got to be realistic here. I, I doubt any of us here in the sanctuary are going to have a one-to-one -one sort of correlation to what Peter experienced 2,000 years ago this upcoming week. I doubt any of you came to church wondering if you were going to be in prison for your faith. I doubt there's a single one of you this morning that, that felt as if it was your faith or else. That's probably not even a question that you've pondered here this morning. Now, I do think there are Christians who are, and we've highlighted those across the world, and also not just across the world, but here in the United States, who hear this story in a different way. And so the question, I think, is, is how can we be as bold as Peter? I mean, what does it look like for us when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we're walking with the Spirit, and we're walking in the Word. What, what actually shows up if we're not standing before the religious authorities or the authorities of the day uh, looking to throw us in prison here? And I just want you to see that what happens with Peter is going to play out in your life and in my life in two very specific ways. And the first is our boldness always leads to the exclusivity of the gospel. Now, don't miss this in verse 12. I love this passage. There is no salvation in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Church, can I, could I preach anything that is more countercultural to our current moment than these words here? I mean, we live in a day and age that is allergic. So many Christians hear this kind of passage and say, really? Really, is there no other way? I mean, we live in a day where we love options, right? We love multiple choice. We love choose your own adventure. And here, Peter is saying something that's not original with him. Peter is, he is channeling the very words of Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter's not inventing this. He is echoing the very words of Jesus. And here we are, 2,000 years, wondering, will we hold to the exclusive claim of the gospel as the only way to salvation? I grew up with a friend of mine who, years ago, we had lunch together, and he grew up in a different religious faith, a faith where we're having lunch, we were talking about this. I was a pastor at the time, and he was well into his career, and we were sort of reminiscing about growing up, but we also had a very serious conversation about the differences of our faith. And he said, hey, David, I mean, the way my faith teaches is we're all on one side of the bank here, and you've got your boat of Christianity, and I've got my boat of my faith, and there are other boats of faith, faith, and they will ultimately all lead to the other side of the shore. And, and you might call the other side of the shore heaven, and others might call the other side of the shore nirvana. Other people might call the other side of the shore reincarnation. But we're all going the same direction, right? And, and I remembered in that moment, I remembered in that moment just the, 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 the tenseness that I felt. I, I wanted, because I love this guy so much, I wanted to be able to sort of soften the message, but it's not my message to soften. And as much as it would be so enlightened to be able to say, well, you're exactly right. We all answer to a script that we did not write, that I am not asked to edit. And the word that I had to say to him is, man, I, I love you so much, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. And the truth is this, that there is only one way. And that way is the way. That way is the truth. That way is the life. That way has a name, and that name is Jesus. And if we fail at this, and if we turn away from the exclusive nature of the gospel, let's just be honest we need to bring our missionaries home. Don't miss this. If, if we couch on this and say, this way is good, and this way is good, and this way is good, and we're all going to the same place here, we need to bring our missionaries back. We don't need to plant any more churches, and we just need to spend resources on ourselves. But we will not do that. We will not do that because there is only one name under heaven that saves, and that name is the strong name of Jesus. And so we pray for missionaries and we send and we support and we plant churches because we want this name to be famous across the state of Alabama. We want this name to be famous across our nation. We want this name to reign across our world because it is that name and only that name where salvation is found. Church, do you believe that? It takes a boldness a boldness to hold to the exclusive nature of Jesus. 
But it's more than that. Our boldness also leads to a courageous stand for the gospel. Look with me in the rest of verse 13 and following. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, don't you love this? The religious bigwigs of the day, these are uneducated common men. They were astonished. Who are they studied under? What seminary did they go to? And they recognized, this is what they recognized. They had been with Jesus. Reputation they had not. Clout they had not. Fame they had not. But you know what they had? They had been with Jesus. Jesus had rubbed off on them. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. I mean, we see with our eyes this man who has been healed. We cannot deny that this has happened, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So let's go to Peter and John. We can't deny that what they're saying is truthful here, but let's see if we can put a proposal before them that will shut them up. Let's see if we can buy their silence. So they called them and charged them to not speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I hope you, I hope you don't pass over that too quickly. Do you see that in verse 20? For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. I love verse 20. I mean, don't you see the boldness just drifting off the pages of Scripture here? Don't you feel the boldness of Peter and John here? They're saying, hey, be silent for your Savior and we'll buy, we'll give you your freedom. If you would be mute about the Messiah, you can walk freely. And you can imagine in this moment, they felt the pull of this. They don't have to worry about looking over their shoulder anymore if they would just be silent about Jesus in this moment. But they couldn't help themselves because they've seen with their own eyes the resurrected Jesus. They had heard with their own ears the, the words of the resurrected Jesus. They had touched with their own hands the very body of the resurrected Jesus. They couldn't help themselves. Because he had done something in their life that made all the difference. And there was no going back. Now, church, we always have to read Scripture in context with other Scripture. So we don't want to take from this passage anytime there are authorities that are asking us to do something that the Christian answer is always the, the answer that we want it to be, that we could just always say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Because why? We know that God has told us in his word, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 14, that Christians are called to obey rulers. We're called to obey authorities. Rules, laws, these things are set in place. And as Christians, we are called to live under that. And we, we need to understand that. But, but at times... At times, there are times where God's word contradicts and violates, or, or uh, where there are times where we're being asked to do something that contradicts God's word or violates our conscience. And when we're faced with that ultimate and absolute decision, it is always the right thing to obey God. It's always the right thing to obey God. 
If we find ourselves in these absolute situations where we're having to choose between compromise and conviction, church, conviction is the way forward here. Because we, I pray, will have the heart of Peter and John that they cannot but speak of Jesus here. And every day you will face, probably not, severe opposition to your faith. Every day will not be a, faith, a day where you, you stand before religious authorities or legal authorities giving account for your faith. But I'm here to tell you, you will face, you will face a, an opposition. And it would be naive for me to, to stand before you here and to not tell you what you already know, that there is a temptation that we swim in the cultural waters where it is so appealing for us to be silent Christians, secret agents of the faith, seeking to blend in. Don't stand out. Don't rock the boat here. But it's just not our calling. Being obnoxious in the name of Jesus, church, that's not a fruit of the Spirit. Being rude and pushy in the name of Jesus. These are not Christian virtues that we seek to, to cultivate. But don't miss this. E even with this disclaimer and even with these nuances here, I want you to hear the, the strength of these words here. That when we walk in the Spirit of God, that the Spirit shines brightly through our words and it shines brightly through our actions and people see the people we go to school with, the people that we work alongside of with, the people that we live with. They see the light of God in us. And they pat us on the back. No, they see the light of God and the good works. And they glorify our Father in heaven. I was born in Starfield, Mississippi. My dad was a Mississippi State graduate, engineer, my grandfather played football at Mississippi, Mississippi State. I didn't go to Mississippi State. My wife didn't go to Mississippi State. But our allegiances sort of have been there. We went to a small Baptist college in Mississippi, Mississippi College. So we don't lose much of any sleep over whether or not Mississippi State wins or loses. Uh, if that was the case, we would lose a lot of sleep, actually. And so, <laughs> so we don't lose a lot of sleep over it, to be honest. But when we moved here seven years ago, it was seven football seasons ago. And... What has happened over seven football seasons is when Alabama plays Mississippi State at home or when Auburn plays Mississippi State at home, many people here at Dawson will say, hey, why won't you come down and watch the game? You can um, come by our tailgate and all those kinds of things. And so when we first moved here, you know, we would load up, put on the maroon and white, head down to Auburn, head, down, head over to, to Tuscaloosa. And this year, was a little bit of a different year. We were invited to, to Auburn as Auburn was playing Mississippi State. And I turned to Danielle and I said, you know, I think this year I'm just going to wear neutral colors. You know, we, we've been asked to, you know, go to all these different tailgate things. I think I'm just going to, I think I'm just going to leave back. And then our two of our other boys were like, yeah, I think we're just going to wear kind of neutral colors. And we're all in agreement except one Eldridge, our 12-year-old. He heard this proposal and he said, traitors is what he said. <laughs> you are a bunch of Judases. This is what you are. What has happened? And so he puts on his maroon and white. We're wearing our neutral colors. We're all sitting in different places. Danielle and I are sitting together. And I get a text message from one of my friends who's the father of one of my youngest son's friends. And he said, I just want you to know, David, 
that your son is, he, he is so brave. He's brave enough to cheer for Mississippi State in a sea of orange. He gets my respect. <laughs> you know why he did that? You know why he did that? He couldn't help himself. If we would have let him, he would have brought a cowbell to Auburn. That's, that's how much. He couldn't help himself. I don't care what you wear to a football game. It matters not to me. But I want you to hear. All of us here in this sanctuary will be tempted this week before we leave to leave behind the jersey of our faithfulness to Jesus and to put on neutral colors. All of us as we head to school, all of us as we head to work, all of us as we head into our neighborhoods, we will be tempted to soften our allegiance for Jesus and just don't stand out as much. And when you're tempted this week to that, which you will be, I hope that you will hear in your soul that song that you've sung many times, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our family of faith or to learn how to become a follower of Jesus, please visit DawsonChurch.org. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.